Are you interested in international agriculture? Or are you part of and cheering on the women's rodeo movement for breakaway roping? Well, this episode is gonna be one that you will love. We are talking with Alexa Wilcox as part of our series with Cowgirl Magazine's 30 Under 30. And in this podcast, we go beyond the saddle as we explore professional careers across the equine industry. I'm your host, Katie Kleinbell. Let's tack up and head out. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Saddle. I have another one of the amazing honorees from the Cowgirl Magazine 30 Under 30 program. Today, we are talking with Alexa Wilcox. Alexa, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You have such a cool story to share with us and such a fun job. So let's just start there. What are you doing currently? What is your role? Talk to us about what your day-to-day is. Yeah, my day-to-day is chaos, it feels like, Um, but I'm currently the head women's rodeo coach at New Mexico Junior College, as well as an adjunct business professor. So I teach a business communications and a marketing class, as well as coach. I have 14 girls on the team this semester um, in all college rodeo events. So that includes breakaway roping, the barrel racing, goat tying, and team roping. Then I also help my husband. Um, He runs the horsemanship and equine industry degree training program here at New Mexico Junior College and I assist with that as well. Oh my goodness, you are you're meeting with those students on so many different levels. So there's 14 that you're working with on the coaching side. How cool? Are they in all the discipline or all of the different events or do we what's, you know, are they skewed one way or the other? Yep, it's a mix. So right now I have um really two true all-around cowgirls but then um a handful of them are two eventers, so they, you know, compete in either the barrel racing and the breakaway roping or the breakaway roping and the goat tying. Um, and then I do have quite a few barrel racers. So we we have a good mix, um, kind of all different skill levels. They come from all over. We have several students from Canada, actually. So that's a fun experience for me and for the other students here from the U.S. But then our students in the U.S., they come from a variety of states. What a fun melting pot to get all those people in one place and, you know, all competing for you and for the school. Talk to me a little bit about um, like university life. Like, I think that's a career path that maybe some people have considered or thought about, like how fun that would be. And you and your husband are in it. So what is that like? Like, what, how do you work together? Do you get to work together? And how is it working for the university? Yeah, definitely. So we are at a junior college here. So, you know, it's only two years, um, which honestly, I am sad about because you only get those students for two years typically, whereas a university, you know, you'd have them for the four. But I love the community that you find on campus. Um, You know, I got my undergraduate degree at Texas Tech and then got my master's at Oklahoma State. Um, And I just always loved the feeling and the energy that you can find on any school campus, Um, especially, you know, when you get to be involved in the athletic side, like we are with the rodeo team here at the junior college. So I just think it's really lively. It's a lot of fun. I love interacting with the students, um, you know, teaching them as well as coaching them. They keep you young, whether you want to be or not. Uh, They're always teaching me the new hip slang or the new music that I have no idea who it is singing. Um, But they're always keeping me young and youthful, I tell them. But it's just always, you know, a lot of fun, too, because they're at a fun stage in life. And so you get to help them kind of shape what their future looks like and help, you know, expand their horizons and and counsel them. But then we're always having fun. So it's a really enjoyable time. 
It sounds like so much fun. And I can tell that you just, you enjoy teaching, right? And being with those kids, because if they didn't keep you on your toes, and if you didn't enjoy the ways that they keep you on your toes, it wouldn't be for you, but clearly you like it. <laughs> Definitely. You asked me about a typical day in my life, and there's just truly no telling when you wake up in the morning how the day is going to go, because there are a million 18 to 20 year olds running around and you never know what's going to come up. Oh my gosh. They keep things interesting. Well, and you throw horses in the mix, right? Like everybody's bringing their horses or they're, you know, figuring out that part of their life to keep horses there with them so yeah. they can be there as they're on their college career. Like that adds a whole other layer, doesn't it? I know. I tell the other athletic coaches that their jobs are way easier because they just have to coach kids or students. Um, and I get to coach students and horses and the student horse relationship and all the things that come with that. We all know that if you have a horse, it doesn't take very long for that horse to need a vet. So that keeps us on our toes pretty, pretty regularly as well, which is fun, you know, and to be around the horses every day is a lot of fun as well. Never a dull moment when we have horses in our world. That is for dang sure. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you had such an interesting career. So like, talk to me about your journey. How did you end up here? And what were sort of the steps along the way? Oh, man, it was a very complicated process. Um, but it's one I wouldn't change for the world. I like I mentioned, I got my undergraduate degree in agricultural communications at Texas Tech University. I was there for all four years and rodeoed on the rodeo team there all four years. I was president of the rodeo team my senior year. Um, and it was on scholarship. And just had a lot of fun college rodeoing, really enjoyed my time, learned a lot, grew a lot. Um, also really enjoyed school and my degree path. I am so grateful for the Agricultural Communications Department at Texas Tech. They are truly phenomenal um, and just don't, can't say enough good things about them. But I knew when I got close to my the end of my senior year, I just didn't feel quite ready um, to step out into the career field. I wanted more information. I'm a, a big lifelong learner advocate. I love learning. Um, and just felt like I wanted more diversity in my degree and my education before I really ventured out into the career world. And so I started looking into graduate programs. Um, and funny enough, it was just a friend on a bus at Texas Tech said, hey, have you heard about this graduate program at Oklahoma State? And it was a graduate program of international agriculture. You can kind of create your own degree path and you get to travel. And that just sounded like so much fun. Um, and so I had applied, ended up get, getting an assistantship with the Department of International Agriculture there at Oklahoma State, and then um, talked to the rodeo coach there, and he was extremely excited to have me as part of the rodeo team as well. So it was just the best of all the world. I got to continue my education, got to see a new part of the country there in Stillwater, and then also got to continue rodeoing, um, and I just couldn't ask for better. So I packed up and moved um, as soon as I graduated at Texas Tech and lived in Oklahoma for those two years and started that international agriculture degree, um, thinking that I would probably still find a career in the rodeo industry after graduation. Um, I had interned at both Rodeo Austin and the San Antonio Rodeo and Livestock Show. Um, and so that was really kind of where my, my end goal, I thought, would be. Um, but alas, I was in Stillwater. I was working for the Program of International Agriculture and met a gentleman named Jackson Kiguri, who was from Uganda. And he had worked uh, in the U.S. for several years, but had a nonprofit that worked on building schools in his home village in southern Uganda. And in conjunction with that, they focused on empowering women through small businesses or agriculture. 
And that just really spoke to me for whatever reason. I come from a family of strong women. I have seven sisters. And so I just really fell in love with the idea of equipping women to be, you know, life changers for their family and um, their communities. And so I did a little bit more research on that topic and decided that I actually wanted to complete a thesis project on women's empowerment in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa specifically, and um, just what that meant for those women. You know, above all, you have all these organizations throwing those words around and it's like, what does that mean? And what do these women think about it? Um, and so that led me to Field of Hope, which is an international nonprofit working primarily in Uganda in agricultural education um, and extension, basically. But I, I just called them up and decided that I was going to go live in Uganda for two months in the summer between my first and second year of grad school. And while there, I would intern for that nonprofit and I would um, conduct research and interview the women that they worked with through their agricultural empowerment program. So I found myself on a plane to Uganda. I lived there for eight weeks, um, fell in love with the country, fell in love with the culture, and really fell in love with like the work that Phil the Pope was doing and saw a million ways that it could be improved, um, but also just really appreciated the organization for its mission and its heart for the people it worked for or worked with. And um, just kind of was like, man, had this clarity moment of, I think I need to do this. Uh, I think I need to work in this area. So as you can imagine, um, Uganda and horses, I obviously spent that long away from my horses. I had some injuries in my horse herd at that time and still really missed my horses, um, but was really excited about the new opportunities that Uganda really held for me. So I came back for my second year of grad school and actually transitioned into the assistant rodeo coaching position at Oklahoma State. So I got to be the assistant coach for the team there in Stillwater for that whole second year of grad school while continuing my internship for Field of Hope. So it really was the best of both worlds. I got to still work with the team in Uganda um, and the board of directors that were stateside and then got to ro you know rodeo and coach the rodeo kids, which was just amazing. It really kind of set me up for where I'm at now. At the time, I didn't know, of course. Um, but upon graduating with my master's, Field of Hope actually offered me a full-time position as a program manager and then I think it was within a year or a year and a half, I was promoted to executive director of the organization. And so they worked in three pillars, one being youth agricultural education, where we developed secondary curriculum for agriculture classes and te teachers um, across Uganda that met their national standards, but had updated content and updated teaching practices. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. I got to work with, I think, over 200 teachers across the country um, through that pillar. And then we also had our women's empowerment pillar. Um, or our, I think we called it the smallholder farmer advancement pillar, where we worked with the women that I originally had interviewed and worked with on my thesis research. Um, and so I got to actually see the recommendations for my thesis be implemented in the programs, which was just something that not very many researchers get to do. Um, and so I was so fortunate for that. And then wow. our final pillar was leadership development. And so I got to work um, at the time that I left Field of Hope, I had five full-time Ugandans on staff with me working as a team. Um, to make everything better for the the women and the students that we worked with. And that was truly, you know, one of my favorite parts. I, I feel like I have family in Uganda to this day because of the relationships that I was able to to form with my team there. So um, that was filled of hope. And I did that for five years, um, worked with them. I traveled to Uganda on average three times a year, usually for three weeks at a time. Um, you know, COVID obviously changed those things, but that was just a really fun challenge that we got to confront. Um, and then I just started feeling 
like God was calling me back um, home, if you will, to stay home more. Um, I was able, I kind of worked through the injuries in my horse herd and put a a new herd together um, and was able to start roping more. COVID allowed me to rope a lot more. I was home more often um, helping my husband. We both show in the AQHA in the calf roping. He's a full-time horse trainer. And so I was helping him more while I was home and just really felt that calling back to, you know, my roots, if you will. Um, It was getting harder and harder for me to up and leave those horses that I had in training or those horses that I had at home and um, just spent a lot of time in prayer and felt like God was like, okay, get ready. We're, We're about to make a transition. And so it was not necessarily surprising, but still kind of shocking when New Mexico Junior College called and offered um, both my husband the position to lead this equine training degree program, as well as me a position here coaching the rodeo team. Um, It was kind of, it felt like an answered prayer for sure, but it was not something that I think we were totally prepared for. Um, But we uh, interviewed for the jobs. We got the job offers, I think within a few days, accepted the job offers and moved to back to Hobbs where we we had lived here just shortly when we were married but we moved back all within like a month so it was kind of a wild ride um but yeah so I got to New Mexico Junior College and here I am um and then I'm really excited to get kind of get back to my teaching roots as well um with the business classes that I get to teach alongside coaching so it's been it's been a wild ride but it's been a lot of fun it sounds like a wild ride. And who knew? Literally global. It took you across the world to do this and to find your path and your story. And it really sounds like it was meant to be like so special for both you and your husband to end up here in New Mexico together. They knew they knew what they were looking for. And you guys were meant to be when you know, you know, <laughs> and you've got yeah. the roles that you were supposed to be in. How perfect is that? No, it really did. It couldn't have worked out better. And it- it's just really, you know, unique and exciting to be part of something um, that is only growing here at New Mexico Junior College. I feel like we're just at the very beginning of something great. And so it's been an honor, if you will, to be a part of that and have a hand in it for sure. Oh, I'm sure. I would, I have so many questions that I want to ask you about your time in Uganda and like your experience with agriculture there and sort of how that's informed what we see here back in the United States and your yeah. role here kind of working in that sector, right? I'm sure a lot of your students are on an ag path of some kind or another. So can you just talk to us a little bit about, about that, right? About agricultural differences between the two literally different halves of the world and, and what you've learned from that? Definitely. So I grew up on a cattle ranch in southeastern Colorado. That's my background. You know, I was in 4-H and FFA. Livestock production, I would say, is where I'm most well-versed as far as agriculture goes. I grew up in an agricultural community, so crop production is something that I was familiar with, but I can't say that I have a whole lot of, you know, intricate knowledge on. Um, But obviously, going across the globe to sub-Saharan Africa, crop production is, is major over there. Um, But also what we see, you know, are just these small subsistence farmers. That's largely what we worked with. Um, And I think one of the wildest things that I always am sure to share is that when we think of a farmer here in the U.S., you know, typically we think of a maybe 50 plus um, gentleman in a field with his overalls on. Um, And those who are more involved might think of him in a tractor. Um, but when you say a farmer in Uganda specifically or sub-Saharan Africa, they think of a woman of any age uh, 
who's just trying to provide for her family. And so having that uh, bias or stereotype kind of flipped on its head was just so intriguing to me. Um, And trying to understand the concept of literally farming to eat um, is just something that we're so, you know, blessed, if you will, here in the U.S. to not necessarily face every day. Um, It also makes agriculture so much more important and so much more influential. Uh, But also then in conjunction with that makes the challenges that agriculture faces that much more detrimental. And so when you talk about pests and diseases, um, you talk about drought, that becomes all of a sudden a matter of life and death. And so that in, in in and of itself was just really challenging to put yourself in that kind of context to then try to decide, okay, as this nonprofit working in this area, we're trying to stand in the gap. How do you stand in a gap of that where you have limited technology, you have limited access to resources and inputs? You know, really, it, you kind of just come to this conclusion that education is the best best way to combat all of these things. And so we really tried at Field of Hope to invest in um, that human knowledge and that education piece. And then, of course, you're continuously just looking for connections to improve that access to inputs and resources and improve um, the conditions and access to technology that we so, you know, in the U.S., we didn't see a lot of the same problems because there was a tractor right down the road or, um, you know, fuel was right there. Or uh, as far as like transporting our goods to the markets was, it's just so accessible here where it wasn't in Uganda um, and much of sub-Saharan Africa. There's a statistic that says that we actually grow more than enough food to feed every person in the world. The problem is the distribution of that food and getting it to where it's most needed. And that is something that we saw firsthand. Um, And so, you know, agriculture is so different over there, but it's also a lot of the same. You know, you have the same principles. Um, You need water to grow seeds. You need good soil. um, And those methods of improving those are all the same, but then you just have the extra barriers in Uganda of gaining access to that or um, it not being readily available or not being able to reach where you're working. Um, So all of those things were, were just really interesting. And I think Uh, Something that I really tried hard was to listen first because you're so quick to come from, you know, a place where we feel like we have the answers to everything to come into a new place where there really aren't a whole lot of answers just right there to think that we have them, you know, think that they're easily easy to find. Um, And so I always really tried to make an effort to listen first and learn um, before we started brainstorming about solutions, because there's just so many complexities to agriculture and the struggles that agriculture faces in sub-Saharan Africa that you really, um, it takes a long time to really get the full picture. There's so many cultural complexities that build into it. And you painted that picture so eloquently. Talk about a reality check. I mean, you demonstrated it so well of like, we're almost like so disconnected. It's a blessing, you know, here in the States to be able to be disconnected from our food production. But maybe so many of our own cultural issues do come from that fact. Whereas, you know, in that part of the world, it is not just their identity or their occupation, right? It is their way of life to live, to find sustainability and for their families that we don't think about here in the States. Like we're so blessed to not have to think about that, but right. you really have that firsthand experience in, in how powerful and how visual that really is and how important it is to educate and to help and to find the best ways to do it and answer questions that are very complex, that don't do not have simple answers by any stretch. 
Yeah, definitely. And you're just continually faced with the fact that it's not a one size fits all, you know, um, and just even like from the highest level of government down to the farmer with the least amount of land, like there's so many different um, things that you have to consider when you're trying to figure out how to best support them. And um, a lot of perspective that has to be had of, you know, working in a, in a different place that doesn't have the same systems that we're used to here in the U.S., um, you know, you talk about extension agents and the extension system we have here and just the some of the businesses that are focused on agriculture and some of the services that we have that just don't exist um, in other parts of the world. So it does create a lot of complexity to it, um, which is a fun challenge to work in that kind of industry. It also can be very disheartening um, and heartbreaking at times, too, when, you know, you have you have these farmers that have committed so much of their life to providing for their family. And then it just takes one drought or one pest outbreak or one disease outbreak. And then all of a sudden they're back to square one and trying to figure out where their food's going to come from that day or the next. Gosh, it's such a stark reality when you look at it that way, for sure. Oh my goodness. But I love your perspective and what you said about empowering women and that visual that, you know, the, the Ugandan farmer is a woman providing for her family and you coming from a background with seven sisters, which is just, I'm trying to wrap my head around having that many sisters, <laughs> but I'm noticing this theme of you just really leaning into supporting women and what it means to be an empowered woman to provide for your family and to make the world better also, which you've done on so many levels, you know, at, at the college level that you're doing with at New Mexico and what you've also done for AQHA and sort of our rules and a whole different set of a governing body, if you will, from what we were talking about, but always empowering women and, and putting those strong women and what we can do for the world first. I love that. Yeah, I, I just, um, you know, I, I think a lot of us are built this way, especially in agriculture, right? We're always leaning over to help our neighbor. Um, and I just think that that's something that the community that I grew up in of Fowler, Colorado really just instilled was that we can all be better when we work together. And so I, I feel like, yeah, maybe I have just taken that into every facet of my life. And, and it's just something that I feel a strong calling to do. Well, the world needs more of it and I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Let's talk about um, what you've done for the AQHA rule book. Um, you've done a lot of good work that the rodeo community thanks you for. So I'll let you kind of share what you've done, but it is amazing and it's so great. We need to talk about it. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. You're so sweet. Um, yes. So as I mentioned before, my husband is a calf horse trainer or a rope horse trainer and I have some deep roots in terms of horse showing in the AQHA. My dad, Mike Majors, multi-time world champion in the versatility in cow horse and ranch riding arenas. And so, you know, I've spent a lot of time at AQHA shows over my life. Um, and I just have a lot of, like I said, passion for um, being a contributing member of the AQHA or of any association and just trying to, you know, make everything better whenever we can. I showed in the amateur breakaway roping at AQHA for several years. My husband has shown in both the amateur and the open levels. Um, and we've had some success there. One thing that I always was just kind of disappointed in is I'm a breakaway roper by trade. That's kind of where my passion lies. I have, you know, rodeoed at the amateur levels. I've rodeoed at the professional levels. And we have some really awesome breakaway ropers. And I think the world obviously is starting to catch on to all of that. But even more so, I've watched a lot of my friends train some really amazing breakaway horses. 
And I was just always disappointed that the AQHA didn't necessarily have a space for them to go and show in, you know, their, their horse training skills because there wasn't an open breakaway class. So in the AQHA, for those who don't know, if you have a professional rodeo card, you are then considered a, pro- a professional or an open rider. You're not allowed to show in the amateur classes, um, especially if you're riding for the outside public or riding horses that you don't own. And so if you think about all these women ropers that we see, a lot of them are training horses for sale or training horses for outside customers. And they also may be riding horses that they don't necessarily own either. All of that led me to think that we needed an open breakaway class so that these women like Larry D. Guy and Jackie Crawford, um, you know, even to my really good friends, Sierra Erickson and Chelsea Putnam Brown or Brown Putnam. Uh, they all train wonderful horses, and I think that they deserved a spot to be able to display that, just like our our men in the tie-down do. And so that just led me into the uh, addition of an open breakaway roping class. And we're not quite finished with it. We still have some work to do on it, but we do now have an open breakaway roping in the AQHA. And um, that was a really fun project. I had a survey done. I worked with over 100 breakaway ropers on conducting a survey to see, you know, their interest to kind of just prove the concept to AQHA to see if they would uh, entertain the idea of having the class, submitted the rule change, uh, kind of went back and forth with the rules committee, working on it and trying to perfect it. We're still, like I mentioned, working on it and getting it perfected right now. It's just a timed class. My goal for it is to be a judged class where they consider the time, yes, as one maneuver, but also consider things like um, the box, how a horse manages it itself in the box, the run and rate to a cow, the stop, and then the time. Um, all things that I think are really important when we're talking about elite quarter horses in the breakaway roping. So that's where we're at today. Um, I was honored. They had a uh, stakes class in 2022 just to kind of have a proof of concept and see how it would work. And I was able to win that class. So that was really special, a very special win for me. Um, and then this past year, CR Bradley won the open breakaway there at the world show as well. And that, that was really exciting to see. I think we had over 60 entries at the world show this year, which is just amazing. Oh my goodness. Congratulations on so many fronts and kudos for staying after something that is so important and needs more visibility in the industry. And it's getting it. Like, I feel like breakaway is having, it's having its time in the spotlight, if you will. And so well-deserved after such a long time of just like following the boys. And now it's, it's such a piece of conversation on so many fronts to be, yeah, there's professional women in so many spaces that need the same opportunities and the same recognition and the same pay out as the men. Let's do this. Let's do it across the board. And AQHA is such an important facet of how, you know, the equine industry works and operates, you know, from the breed level all the way up through to, you know, the PRCA and the WPRA. So thank you for your work there, because I know that's not an easy road to travel either. No, thank you. I mean, honestly, it just, it made sense to me, right? And so I knew that if, someone else wasn't going to step up and and do that. Someone needed to. And so I was just happy to to be the face or the voice for that. I just think, I mean, I was at a jackpot Tuesday night and you just sit there and there was 94 girls entered. Um, and you just sit there and watch the horsepower. It truly, a, a good breakaway horse is just truly, I think, worth its weight in gold, in my opinion. Because um, they have to do so much, so many things, so athletically, so fast. And so I just, I think above all, the breakaway horses deserve the moment, right? 
Um, yes. And those, those girls um, that can train one too. And the, and the guys too, there are several very talented men trainers. Uh, we just didn't have a spot for those, those professional level women. And so I'm glad that the AQHA has seen that. And, and now we have a spot for them. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm just in awe of a really good calf horse and in whatever event, right? Like just watching them work a cow and and listen to their rider cues and get after it. They are amazing to see them go to work and you're right. They deserve that, that moment as well. And that showcase and that platform, it's a whole ecosystem between horse and rider and the organizations that showcase them for sure. Definitely. Well, you have such an interesting story um, and you have so much passion for everything that you do and you do it with excellence. Um, And I also know that obviously your journey has been pretty unconventional um, in terms of staying involved in the ag industry, staying involved in the equine industry. And I know that there's folks out there listening to this podcast right now thinking, this is my passion. These are my people. How do I make it happen? How do I stay involved? How do I get back to what I know I want to be doing, but I'm not quite sure how? What would you say to those folks? Like your journey lends so much advice there. And I know that there's people out there asking those very questions. Yeah, I would just say, first of all, I have been where you are. And man, is that not an interesting place to be? There was a quote that really, when I just graduated grad school, And, you know, I found myself newly married, which is a whole nother um, adventure in itself. And I was working remotely for Build of Hope, traveling to Africa a lot. There was a quote that really just resonated with me and made me, I guess, allowed me to stay committed to what the end goal was, right? And so for me, it was always getting back to the breakaway roper that I knew I could be and really just like living the life that I had in my head. And so not saying that I wasn't doing those things, but it just looked differently at the time. But that quote was, do one thing every day that gets you closer to your dreams. And that one thing can look so vastly different day to day. It can look vastly different in different seasons of life. You know, it may be roping the dummy. Um, if, if I'm going to use my own self as an example of breakaway roping, um, it may just be roping the dummy 10 times that day. That's all you have time for, but you did one thing that got you closer to your goals. It also might be, um, work, you know, going to the gym, there were a lot of days where all I could do as far as getting closer to my goals was going to the gym. So that's what I did. It was one thing that got me closer to my goals. Um, it might be watching the breakaway roping. It might be, it could be as little or as big as you make it. Um, but it gave me as someone who is definitely someone that takes my goals very seriously. I'm very committed to them. When I felt like I wasn't being committed to them, or I, I wasn't gaining towards them. I really would get in this mental space that I didn't like. Um, And so it just kind of gave me like that grace, like, okay, just do one thing. What is that one thing? Um, And then there was another quote that completely resonated with me. And one of my good friends actually wrote something about this quote um, on Facebook recently. But the quote is a Morgan Harper Nichols quote. And it says, you may not be everything you thought you'd be by now, but you can be the one who loves, serves, and gives her all and waters and nurtures every plant in the garden that God has already given her. And so if that garden looks different, right, if it's a different garden than what you originally planned on or what you um, had pictured in your head, I think if you can just commit to giving your all in that garden for that season, that you'll find um, you'll find your way back in the garden that you may have pictured always. Um, you know, each garden is a blessing in its own way. And I just really feel that, you know, I can look back now, of course, and say like, wow, 
But I'm so thankful for the time that I spent in Uganda and for the time I spent with Build of Hope because it taught me and prepared me so well for the time that I now get to spend coaching the rodeo team at New Mexico Junior College, um, you know, and rodeoing to the degree that I always had wanted to get back to um, and training horses. Like so much of it flows into each other, even though on paper, you'd be like, wait, uh, working in a nonprofit in Africa versus coaching the rodeo team, how do those two things connect? Honestly, they, I don't think they probably would for anyone, just anyone, but they do for me. So just, you know, being fully planted where you are and just committing to serve there, I think is really helpful. Um, but then also, you know, you can always be doing one thing every day to get you closer to your end goals or your go next goal. And I think if you can just find a balance between working towards what's to come while fully being where you are. I just, I think that's the secret and it's going to look different and you have to have a lot of grace, um, but I, it's possible. And I think that is just something that is important for everyone to keep in mind that it's, it's always possible and life is what you make it. Alexa is the proof that it is possible. Like your, your story and how you have lived your life is such a beautiful illustration of these things down to the metaphor that I'm not even sure you were knew you were making um, of your journey with fields of hope. And now you're talking about this garden of your life that you should water and foster. Like you have, you are that person, Alexa, who is giving it your all in all of the ways in whatever that garden looks like that God has given you and the gifts that you have and the path that you're on. And you're doing that one little thing every day. And I can bet you that the things that Alexa is doing um, get bigger and bigger and bigger every day and multiply through the works of the people that you're touching, you know, at the junior college level um, and the lives that you touched your time in Uganda. It's just really beautiful. I'm so glad that you came on the show and that you were willing to share your story with us. I'm just so honored, Alexa. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for letting me share. Um, you know, I don't think any of us have it figured out no matter what it looks like. Um, but I do think that by having these conversations and being honest with each other and just uh, supporting and encouraging each other whenever we can, we can all get where we want to be. One step closer, right? One step exactly. closer every day. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This has been um, such a delightful conversation. I'm just so honored that I'm part of Cowgirl 30 Under 30 with you and get to know you in some ways. And I'm so glad that you were willing to come on Beyond the Saddle and share your story with so many people. You have a story that is worth hearing and it's just beginning. Like you have such a road, a, such a positive outcome in front of you. And I can't wait to see what you do from here. Thank you so much for having this show to begin with. Um, and thanks for having me on here. I, I really enjoyed it and I'm excited. Thanks for riding along in this episode with Alexa Wilcox. Stay tuned for more episodes with Cowgirl Magazine's 30 Under 30.